0: Cusco, Peru. The ancient Incans rightfully named the city Cusco, which means belly button in ancient Quechua, rightfully so, because if you look at it, it has the form of a belly button, being having the hills rise up around the edges and creating a slight crater at the city which sits about 11,500 feet above sea level in Peru. Peru is located on the west coast of South America. And it's, uh, Cusco in particular, is home to a major tourist attraction. We have Machu Picchu right nearby, and Machu Picchu is the gateway city, Uh, Cusco is the gateway city to Machu Picchu. Anybody that wants to visit Machu Picchu must go through Cusco. Because of that, we have roughly two million visitors passing through our city gates annually. It creates a very long-lasting evangelism opportunity for all of us. Here they take part, and they get to see our city and our ancient culture. They get to see our ruins, and they also get to partake in our many fabulous Peruvian dishes. Here you got pictures, Lomo Sotado, one of our great traditional Peruvian dishes that we have. And if you come, you'll be able to try it along with other dishes like pollo, alabrasa. But at a verge, culturally speaking, Peru is 80% Catholic. Of our population... That is a great percentage, but they're more or less Catholic in name only. Many of the ancient Incan beliefs are incorporated into their life processes, and even though they don't attend Mass every Sunday, they're still very much Catholic, and Catholicism dominates their culture. All that being said, Cusco is a city of 600,000 souls, with the immediate surrounding area, if you count it, to the valley, including up to 1.2 million people. That brings us to a whole lot of people, and we currently only sit, as I can count it, if a Church of Christ or New Testament Christianity, if you just want to make a broad definition of all the New Testament churches in the area, we only have roughly 400 people in the entire city of Cusco that are a New Testament Christian. It makes an enormous Evangelism opportunity and makes the Andy Mountains, especially Cusco, one of the least evangelized places in the entire world. As I was growing up, there was many passages where I was like, Thank you, God. I read that and I have absolutely no idea what you meant by it. This is one of those passages where I read it for many years and I never understood what Paul was trying to relate. And as I read these words now today, they take on a much more profound impact into my life as I read them. It comes from Second Corinthians where Paul says, Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of the Christ? I am out of my mind for talk, to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been prisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, bandits, fellow Jews, Gentiles, the danger of the city, the danger of the country, danger at sea, and danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, please don't take me wrong. I don't profess to know half as much as what Paul has experienced here. But over the past year, God has definitely enlightened my eyes as to what it would mean if you were to give your entire life to Christ and to follow the path of a missionary, much like Paul. And if you will, I'd like to take you on a slight portion of my journey over the past year. In August of 2017, we arrived in Lima, Peru, the Lima being the capital coastal city of Peru that holds about 10 million individuals. It's a huge city. And we were ang- eager to learn the language, the culture, the people. We are eager to just start this adventure, to start this process of learning how to evangelize to the City of Cusco and of Peru. And over the course of two months, we did exactly that. We uh, solved and studied the accelerated language curriculum in Lima, where we really dived headfirst into Spanish and grabbed as much Spanish as we possibly could. We learned how to cook traditional food. We explored the streets and museums of Lima. And we even found Paddington Bear, who knew he was in Peru still. But uh, we worshiped with families from Salamanca Church Christ. Circo, it was a great, wonderful time. We enjoyed every moment of it. However, we would then go on to pack and move on to Cusco, Peru. We arrived in Cusco to start the mission work in October 2017. We were greeted by our teammates there. It was a time of rejoicing and celebration to get headfirst into the mission work. Little did we know that I would be stricken down by an illness. At the time, we had no idea what the illness was. Very shortly into our stay in Cusco, only mere weeks, uh, we were driven to the ICU. More in particular, I was driven to the ICU. When we got there, we learned that my blood oxygen level was at 38%. Uh, For reference, if you get below 80%, they suggest you go seek medical attention immediately. Uh, They had no idea what was going on, what was wrong with me. They were running tests. Had me on a breath mask. All they knew for sure was that it was a miracle that I was still alive and breathing. And over the course of the next couple of days, they discovered that I had atypical pneumonia that was compounded by factors of high altitude pulmonary edema. Oh, that's a long way of saying that there was pneumonia in my lungs, and the altitude and the liquid that was entering my lungs wasn't allowing me to breathe. My entire left lung had been overtaken, and it would take a about a week of being in the hospital before they would release me, and then several more weeks of antibiotics after that before I ever regained my near strength. I can say with certainty that I should not be standing here tonight. By all accounts and measures, I should be dead. If it wasn't for the miracle that God did to me to keep me alive, and for Rachel and her actions to get me to the hospital, I would not be here. But over the course of the next month, things just continued to progress. I slowly got better and better. And then I uh, focused my attention to getting our four pallets that we had packed up our personal possessions from the States to Cusco, Peru. Uh, it was just personal possessions, nothing of significant value, things that we didn't think we could buy in Cusco, nothing of huge importance more sentimental value than anything. And it became clear to me as we were preparing to get everything moved to Cusco as I was dealing with the shipping company that something was up with this company. It, we kept getting delayed as I was working with them and every single time where we tried to get nickel and dimed we got nickel and dimed. Uh, it was a very traumatizing experience <laughs> experience almost working with these people uh, this company. but eventually our stuff did arrive with us. For us, and when it arrived, as you can see, many of our possessions—well, most of our possessions—were either broken, damaged. They had been rained on. The people helping us move stuff up into our apartment often commented, "Did y'all pack fish? Because it smells like rotting fish." I'm like, "I promise you, I didn't pack any fish." (laughs) But it was a horrific experience as well. Mere days before Christmas, we're trying desperately just to have one small ray of hope of light in our lives at this point. We're in a culture, can't really understand the language that great. You go to Kroger, and you're, well, their version of Kroger, and you're looking at everything going, is this bleach or laundry detergent? I have no idea. It's one of those points in your life where you feel like you're at all-time low, and every single quiver, every single arrow that Satan has, he's launching your direction. But there were glimmers of hope. There were times where we saw what was going on in our lives, and we first kept on marching through. We kept moving. And in March of 2018, this past March, we participated in our medical campaign, of which I hope everyone has an opportunity to come down and visit if you're capable, and if the church is capable of sending you. Because it's a wonderful time to be able to experience and to help out with the mission effort in Cusco. At this uh, medical campaign. This year was the first year where we actually were able to have a children's campaign coinciding with the medical campaign. At this children's campaign, we were able to get the children out of the main medical building, have activities, games, uh, crafts, all sorts of different things. We taught them the lesson of Jesus at a certain station. It was a wonderful time, super successful. Uh, we had 2,000 different patients come through the medical campaign, and over 500 children come through the children's portion of the campaign. It served as a beacon of light to us, and we saw it as something where, hey, we can see how God's going to use us in Cusco, Peru. One of the first few times that we could see that. So the next several months were consisted of many highs and many lows. It was kind of a lot ride. We had the high of being able to help certain families within the church. We had one lady who... Needed a, a new bed for her house. wasn't able to purchase it. We were able to help her out with that, get her bed. And because of her gratitude towards us, she wanted to, we weren't accepting money from her, but she wanted to cook us a meal. And one of the highest forms of friendship and offerings they can do for you in Cusco is they're going to cook you a meal of cuy, Cooey being guinea pig in uh, the states. So she cooked us a guinea pig, and you can sort of see it there, but. uh. She brought this to us, and I was like, thank you? (laughs) Uh, We ate the guinea pig, and while I can safely attest for Rachel and I that we probably won't be requesting it anytime soon, Uh, it was the heart behind it and what she gave it that really struck us and made us appreciate her presence and her gratitude towards us. And then shortly later that month, though, One of our teammates that's pictured here, Kevin Westmoreland, woke up one morning with extreme abdominal pain. We didn't know what was going on, but he walked himself to the same hospital I had visited. And later on that night, he had his gallbladder removed because he had extreme gallbladder issues. And they told him right then and there, we don't even want you flying to Lima. We need to take out your gallbladder right now. So it's just many stories like this where you never know what's going to hit you in a mission field. We also saw the highs and lows of Peru being able to be eligible for the World Cup for the first time in 30 years. Uh, the entire country was going nuts over it. We saw the highs of them qualifying to the lows of them losing to Denmark, despite having about 40 more shots on gold than Denmark had on us. And then we had the unfortunate luck of running into France, who would eventually win the World Cup. So saw the highs and lows of that. We had the highs and lows of forming our new team, the team that will stay here in Cusco as we move forward. Uh, It's a mixture of uh, different Americans as well as new locals, new Peruvians, new Cusqueños that are local to the area. All of us working together to transition this church from being a mission-focused effort to more of a sustainable church that will be native to the culture of Cusco and be able to raise up and sustain itself in the future once the Americans can pull out and start a new church plant somewhere else. We were able to have retreats with them. We were able to do treks. But these things also came with more lows. During the trek, I realized that had blown out my eardrum. And that if you don't have an eardrum, it's very hard to walk straight. And it's very hard to walk straight on the side of a mountain. So I had to abandon the trek early and come back to Cusco. Throughout the... Course of the time I am in Cusco, I wish I had the time to tell you all about the different stories. I could literally stand up here for probably the next two days and tell you story after story of everything I've seen of our experience in which we were robbed in Lima once, not a gunpoint or anything, don't worry for our lives, but just inadvertently robbed of the domestic violence situations that I've seen and how it breaks your heart when you have members coming before you asking for help and there's very little you can do other than just get them to safety. Of what the Venezuelans that are coming into our country in Peru, of them that are seeking refuge because their country in Venezuela is in shambles right now, and more and more, and hundreds, by like thousands almost, are entering Cusco. At the different funerals and how the church has grown to the point now where we're eight years old and some of our older members are now dying, and how this is a church handled that into ceremonies for them in their first times ever experiencing that. Not just the funerals, but the marriages as well. Marriages within families and the church and the celebration that we should be having for that. But you know, They don't want a Catholic or a traditional Quechua type of feeling to it. They want a church celebration, a family celebration. There's so many countless stories. And when you count it all up, you can say, hey, Mitch, there's some good stuff happening in Cusco. But uh, you almost died, you got robbed, your stuff was like destroyed. How do you have hope? I think that's a good question. The best way I can answer it is by what Psalm 121 says. And I'm not lying to you, and this is truly how our hearts feel. I lift my, my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This rings true to me, and it's not just lip service, it's really true to us, because despite everything, despite the near-death experience, despite having everything destroyed, despite not knowing what I'm doing 99% of the time in that culture, the good that comes out of it far outshines any bad, any small bad that might exist within my life. For example... This past October, we challenged our congregation because We told them, hey, we're a church of about 100. We want you to go out into the city, invite everyone you know, much like was just echoed to you all tonight, invite everyone you know to church this next Sunday. And we have been playing this for about a month and a half beforehand. Bring everyone you can. We're going to have a special service. It's going to be in the park. We're going to provide a lunch, provide a small breakfast beforehand. There'll be a big kids, BBS carnival-like atmosphere afterwards, after everything. But please, bring everyone you can. Let's just see how many people we can bring to the church in one Sunday. In our church, of about 100 people, more than double and a half, every the attendance we had for that one Sunday. On that one Sunday in the park, we had 270 people come to our church. And we're still having follow-up reception of getting those people to visit us for the first time ever, coming back to the church and starting the Bible study process, and learning what it really means to be a follower of Christ, because of that one Sunday. Of that 270 people, 70 of them were kids, we were able to outreach to the kids like we had never been able to before in a single church service. It was nothing short of a miracle in my mind that we went from 100 people in one Sunday to 270 in the next. I also see... Young men stepping up in our church, these are our two ministers who just returned from Bible Baxter College in Honduras. Elvis and Yolanda are married, and then Percy's over there in the dark blue shirt. And they just returned to us. They're going to be our ministers moving forward, our Peruvian point of contact in the church, who we want to raise up as the pulpit, the involvement ministers of the church. And what I see in them is nothing short of miraculous as well. They have a fire for the Lord that is unequaled, and if anyone have met in Cusco, and they greatly desire to evangelize. Hmm. There it goes. Okay, because what I think Paul echoes in Philippians is very important. He says, "I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this." that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That key phrase I see in there is your partnership in the gospel. The church in Cusco is quickly moving towards where it's no longer missionaries coming down doing a church plant and just having study after study with locals, trying to plant some sort of foothold within the culture. The church is now at a point where they are partnering with us in the gospel to try to make this their own. By that I mean I see men stepping up in our church where they will preach at times and they will do the Lord's Supper, where they will say a prayer, where they will be ushers, where they will be receptionists and greet people into the church. It might seem like very small things to you or I where it's very simple for us to hand a plate for a Lord's Supper. For them, in a culture where they were told since youth that no man is allowed to read a scripture in a public setting unless they are a priest, it means all the world indifference. This is a huge step for our church and that we have men that are willing to step up and take part in basic worship activities. Our church is very outwards focused. Uh, Puno is a city on Lake Titicaca, about 4,000 feet higher than us. Puno is a very poor city. Some of our members originally came from Puno, and they wanted to do something for Puno because they had family in the church in Puno. Uh, It's a small church, but they had family there that was cold and was suffering from this past winter. So the church in Cusco, we gathered up all our uh, extra clothing, all our extra donations, supplies, food, whatever have it, and packed them into the taxi cab of one of our members. He drove it the four or five hours it takes to drive to Puno and gave it to the church there. It's a very outward-focused church in Cusco. Our small group cellulose are growing exponentially. We're doing these small group home Bible studies. And this is how many of our new members are coming into church. Families are just inviting their friends, saying, Hey, it's not a church service, but we're having a Bible study in my home. Will you come and study with us? We've gained many of our members by this way. So much so that we're starting to see this snowball effect. And by snowball effect, I mean that we have one person that becomes a member of our church or has done a study with us, decided to be baptized, and it just keeps on going rolling rolling down. This is Tetchy. Tetchy is one of our most ferocious, most loving, most endearing members of the church. And she, a couple of years ago, decided to do a study with the team and became baptized. But because of her one decision to become baptized, her daughter, Adriana, furthermore decided to become baptized and did a study of us. But it didn't stop there. Scotty, who was her then-boyfriend, decided to do a study and to get baptized as well, which led into Lucretia, which is Tetchy's mom deciding that she wanted to do a bapti- study, which led to her baptism, and Tetchy's sister, Lucretia also, uh, following suit. They then stopped there, went into Carmen, which is Lucretia's daughter, or Tetchy's niece. So pretty much eventually what you're getting at is this entire family has now become part of the church, simply because of Tetchy's decision to start a Bible study. However, Julio, who is of no blood relation to any of them, uh, is only connected to them by the fact that Lucretia is his housekeeper, he decided to do a Bible study, too. Lucretia got to talking to him and said, Lucretia has a spirit about her. She, She's going to tell everyone she knows about Jesus. So she was talking to her boss and saying, I got something you really need to hear. And uh, Julio decided to start the Bible study as well, and he joined our church. And Julio, in turn, talked to his cousin, Elit Cecilia. And now that whole root, that whole family, to become parts of the church as well. It shows how just one small decision by one of our members has huge consequences for everyone, their family, and near friends. And that's not, that's just one story. There's countless other stories that are exactly the same that I could relate to you. We have members baptizing members into the church. We have Peruvians doing Bible studies with other Peruvians now. It is An incredibly exciting, amazing time. I can't even begin to describe to you the joy that fills our hearts every time we see Peruvians stepping forward and saying, we're going to do the Bible studies with our friends because we think it's that important. In the bottom right here, you can see Elvis in the white shirt baptizing his father, his father who's more than 60 years now, who he thought would never in a million years agree to do a Bible study with him. But when he came back from Baxter, after talking to him for several months, his father agreed to do a Bible study with him, which here in the past couple of months led to his father being baptized. It's so many stories like that that just break our hearts and make us so excited and realize that no matter what happens to us in our life, it's all worth it. Looking into the future and continuing with the theme of partnership, Ever since I've known the church in 2015, I've prayed for men that would come to this church and be potential elders, be able to lead it one day, and be able to have an eldership in place before American missionaries pull out of the work in Cusco. And while we are still a long ways from that goal of being ready to install elders, for the first time in any of our memories, the missionaries are looking at three different families and going... There's potential here. We have men that are actually on paper filling out the qualifications for elders, and we're going to start studies with them on what it means to be a godly leader within their households and what it means to be a godly leader within the church. And hopefully with a little bit of luck and a little bit of God's guidance, we'll be able to install them as elders in one of the coming years. We're also working very diligently to secure a permanent location in Cusco. The idea is for Cusco not to just be a Congregation that's limping along as life support, but a congregation that can serve as a beacon, a launch pad for other Peruvian driven uh, missionary efforts to the other parts of Cusco and the province of Cusco. We're working very diligently to secure the funds to build the building and to get it in place, and if we're able to do so, then Cusco will be able to not only be spiritually stable, but financially stable for years to come on. End. But the worst fear that Rachel and I personally have for this entire church is for what happened in Judges to come and transpass itself once again. We do not want that to happen at all. For Just like it says, countless times in Judges. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. If you come back to the church in Cusco in 30, 40 50 years, and you only see a church of 100 or less, I failed. There's no no way around that. For what Rachel and I are trying to do is we're trying to teach these guys. We're spending a lot of our time working on building the children's ministry. We have devoted a ton of time to developing the curriculum, the program, the activities, everything for these kids goes from having technical difficulties, sorry about that. It goes from developing the facilities for them where it's a vibrant, engaging place, where it's like a little setting of an ancient town of Israel, hills of Judea, building a stage for them to act out on. Or just figuring out the crafts activities that make these stories of Jesus real to them. On the top right there you can see where they made dough. And one of the doughs has yeast, the other set of dough does not. And by the end of the lesson, they were able to see how the yeast had caused the dough to grow, exactly what the parable of how a little yeast can grow the kingdom of heaven exactly meant. Figure out new ways for them to engage and learn the stories of the Bible. You have not lived until you've seen a little proving child throw a paper rock at Goliath, who's shorter than them, but that's fun. And then also, throughout all of this, it's been imperative to us to make sure that everything we do, everything we teach, is going to be sustainable for the future. That these lessons that we teach are going to be able, the Peruvians will be able to teach as well, and that they're going to be able to keep on the process of the teaching to children. So not only are we teaching, but we have Peruvians taking in the roles of teaching as well. And we've had tremendous success for, through it all. Uh, our kids' cellular, our kids' small group that we have at the church for Bible study in the midweek, is the fastest growing small group of, out of all of them, bar none. We'll eventually get to the point here pretty shortly we'll, where we'll have to split it into different age groups to be able to more effectively teach them. Our Sunday morning children's worship time period has gone from one class to two classes to now three classes, depending on their age group simply because we are having way too many kids and we can't fit them all into one room. And every single time we see any of the smiles on these faces of these kids or any single time where I'm able to teach a lesson in Spanish to some of the older kids and they can repeat back to me exactly what Jesus was meaning behind the lesson and what the purpose behind his teaching was, it it's all the reward in the world. There's nothing better for our hearts than hearing that. Because it's not very long before you see these little kids here, their smiles on their faces, these cute, adorable Andean mountain kids. It's not very long at all before these children that we're teaching now will turn into these beautiful Quechua ladies of our congregation that we currently have. And not to say that we can't always be outreaching into the community, but we want a church that is able to raise our children up from the very beginning of birth until the very end of their life and say that they were always part of the church there in Cusco. If we can afford them that opportunity, then we had success. People ask me, what can I do to help? It's a good question. (laughs) But the best thing you can do for us is pray. And that's all I can ask of you. Over the next two years, we're going to be going through a period of transition like none other. The first three original families that... Founded the church there, that planted it in two nine. We'll be leaving next month, in December. Uh, all the original team will be gone. So pray for the church as we transition through that period. Pray for us as we go through our uh, ability to raise and collect funds and the construction of the building to secure the permanent presence in South America, especially in the Andes Mountains of Cusco, as we always. The church will always have a presence there. As we train our leaders to. Get ready for the period to where the church will be sustainable and to develop our children's ministry so that we can continue to teach these children for generations to come. And now I realize that this has kind of been a long winded, not exactly a normal update that missionary will get up here and tell you about what's going on in the church work and wherever they're going from. That this is part update, part testimony part highs, part lows. My intention was to simply convey to you everything that has happened in our lives because I fully believe every single moment since I have decided to be a missionary has been impacted by God's hands and that God has been all of this. It's not just me building teaching, but it's every aspect of our lives that Rachel and I have gone through. It's been God working in it. I thank God for being able to work as a tool on his behalf and I want to thank y'all for being able to send us, for being willing to send us and supporting us emotionally, financially, spiritually, always having us in your prayers. There's nothing we can ever do to repay you for everything you have done for us. Now if there is anything I hope you can gain from tonight, I want you to know that you might be seeing the past and pews tonight, and not knowing a lick about me before you came in tonight. But our entire purpose is kind of summed up in by my favorite verse in John three thirty: "If he must become greater, I must become less." And if I have said anything tonight, I hope that you can take away that that's the sentiment that we should all try to follow. And if you have questions, if you want to know what it means to live your life completely for Christ, please find an elder. Find me. Find anyone here. Any of our members. I'm sure they'll be willing to tell you about how Christ impacted their life. Because if we're not out telling everyone exactly how Christ changed us, then what are we doing? Thank you again.